I can love people who don't agree with me. And you have to learn how to love when you're not in agreement, especially if you're married to this person. Because you don't want to spend your days arguing and fighting. There's no rest, there's no peace, and eventually you're going to get tired of it. So you have to learn how to, okay, you got to know where the minds are. You have to know where the lines are. You have to know the do not enters <laughs> and the bewares and yields. <laughs> you better figure out the traffic pattern in your house. Because <laughs> if you don't, you're going to end up at a dead end. And no gate to keep you from going over the cliff. Better know the traffic patterns. Figure it out real quick. And then avoid those fights, avoid those arguments, and just love one another in spite of one another. Your spouse is going to have to do the same thing for you. It's not one-sided either way you look at it. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The seven-day Sabbath established on the seventh day of creation is the most established commandment in all of Scripture. The seventh-day Sabbath was created by Jehovah, established, observed, and kept by Yeshua, and a gift given to man as a day of rest, assembly, and worship. The religious leaders of Yeshua's day had created Sabbath-day laws of do's and don'ts that they imposed on the people and accused Yeshua and his disciples of violating. In this portion of Matthew, Yeshua was confronted by the Pharisees on two separate occasions of violating their laws, which led to a plot to kill him. Did Yeshua violate the Sabbath instituted by Jehovah in either of those incidents? Join us in this tense and confrontational moment as Yeshua tries to reason with the Pharisees about the seventh day from a biblical and historical context in the teaching, Lord of the Sabbath. Let's study. As we sent out the email this week on this teaching, we talked about how the seventh-day Sabbath established on the seventh day of creation is the most established commandment in all of Scripture. The seventh-day Sabbath was created by Jehovah, established, observed, and kept by Yeshua, and is a gift given to man as a day of rest, assembly, and worship. I've come across many in the Messianic faith in the Hebrew faith who don't see the essence of assembling for the Sabbath, but put great effort on assembling for the feast. The Sabbath is a weekly feast. If you really read Leviticus 23 in the context in which it is given, And so for those of you who put so much emphasis on the feast, I encourage you to put the same emphasis on the Sabbath because it is a feast of Jehovah. Yeshua will point the religious leaders to the Torah and the prophets, and that's what he's been doing ever since he 
started his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4 after John had been put in prison. The religious leaders of Yeshua's day had created Sabbath day laws of do's and don'ts that they imposed on the people and accused Yeshua and his disciples of violating those laws. And in this portion of Matthew, Yeshua is confronted by the Pharisees and, of course, the synagogue leaders, which also were Pharisees, on two separate occasions of violating their laws, which led to a plot to kill him. And the thing that we have to take into consideration that when the Pharisees were accusing Yeshua of breaking the law, then even for my religious friends out there who say that if Messiah, if Jesus, as they would say, had broken any law, then he could not have been the biblical Messiah, that he had to honor and keep the law and he had to do it without violation in order to prove that he was actually the Messiah. But then in the same breath, we'll say that he broke the Sabbath to teach us <laughs> that we don't have to keep the Sabbath. You see the confusion in that kind of statement? That he had to keep the law perfectly or he couldn't have been the Messiah, but then turn around and accuse him of violating the Sabbath why? Because the Pharisees said he violated the Sabbath when in actuality he violated the laws of the Pharisees. Let me tell you about Christian laws because there is Christian laws. And I was taught that if I am a Christian, then I must go to church on Sunday. Now, that's not a biblical law, but that is a Christian law which is why Christians show up to church on Sunday religiously. There are people who will not miss a Sunday. They, they may miss work, but they won't miss Sunday church. Now, where is that in the Bible? It's not. But the pastor will condemn you for not attending service on Sunday. Why? Because Christians are supposed to be at church on Sunday and that's when they all assemble and do the work of ministry according to the church. It's not a law, but it is a Christian law. And that, again, is why people go to church on Sunday, because people can choose whatever day they want to worship, right? We can worship any day. Well, how come you're religiously worshiping on Sunday and, and not any other day? When you start asking people questions, and here's the thing, you can't allow people to put you on the defense all the time. You got to be offensive on the offense. <laughs> I know. I was just, yeah, I was, I was waiting for the, you know, you guys, the punchline or whatever. You got it. Did Yeshua violate the Sabbath instituted by Jehovah in either of these incidents as we're going to see? That's the question you have to keep in, in mind. And so, verse 1, chapter 12. At that time, Yeshua went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Now, that word corn, for most people, you're going to see a kernel, not kernel, but you're going to see cobs. 
corn on the cob. This is not that kind of corn. This is grain. So Yeshua and his disciples, they went. At that time, Yeshua went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry. And what did they do? They began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Now, I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to visualize them going through the corn or the grain and plucking the grain from what they're, you know, whatever it is, whether it's barley or, or wheat or whatever grain it is, and they're eating it raw because they're not cooking out there, <laughs> right? They're eating raw grain. They begin to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. And so, I, you know, whenever I see ears of corn, it takes me to barley because barley is also referred to as green corn in the ear and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Now, whenever the Pharisee identifies something that is unlawful, then we want to search where is it written that this is not to be done. Because if we can find it, then we know that the Pharisees is referring to the law of Jehovah. If we can't find it, then we need to question it, right? Now, the Torah permitted plucking grain on the Sabbath, but the sickle was not allowed for then it would be considered work. They weren't out there working. They were simply eating because they were hungry. Deuteronomy 23, 24. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. Now, what is he saying? See, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard and, and you eat the grapes, then you're not stealing. You're not working. You're eating because what? You're hungry. Now, if you start gathering grapes and put them in the basket, now we got a problem. What's the difference? One is you're eating because you're hungry. Of course, the law forced all of the children of Israel who had crops to leave the edge of their fields for gleaning purpose. So a person, even when he came down to the harvest, could go and glean, but here they can actually eat. The next verse, verse 25. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand. Now he's being specific. You must pluck the ears with thine hand. Thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. In other words, you can pluck it and eat it, but you can't harvest it. You can't sickle it. You can't take omers or you can't take stalks. You can't take, you know, a, a bushel, <laughs> if you would. So what does the Torah permit? 
what these disciples and Yeshua was doing was perfectly within the law. And yet, the disciples said, or the Pharisees said, what they are doing is unlawful. Well, now is what they're doing unlawful according to Torah. They're doing it on the Sabbath. Well, it doesn't say what day you can do it. It doesn't say you can do it on, on, on six days out of the week you can do it, but on the seventh day you can't do it. Because how many of you know people eat on the seventh day? The seventh day is not a fast day. Unless, of course, Father moves you to fast on that day. Right? The disciples were not breaking Torah, the law of Jehovah. They were in violation of the law of the Pharisees. And today, you have the, the Mishnah, you have Gomorrah, you have the, the oral Torah, you have a lot of other writings. <laughs> if you're into Kabbalism, you got the, the Zohar. There's a ton of writings out there for individuals that they can search the wisdom, if you would, of the sages. And here's a question. Is there any sage wiser than Yeshua? You think Paul had more knowledge of the scriptures than Yeshua did? The teachers of the law? I'm making a point here, brothers and sisters, because there's a tendency for people to ignore what Yeshua said in order to follow what somebody else said. Especially if what Yeshua is teaching is contrary to what somebody else is teaching, who do you follow? Who do you listen to? In verse 3, but he said unto them, now he's going to school them. They should have known that the Torah did not forbid what they were saying, but what they did is they built the fence around the Torah and they made laws on top of laws uh, that really violated the law. <laughs> But he said unto them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and they that were with him? And so what is he saying? What I'm doing here and these disciples with me is not on the level of what David did with the men who were with him. What did he do? How he entered into the house of Elohim and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. First Samuel. Now what is he doing? He's, he's schooling them from the prophet. First Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 6, David and his men ate the consecrated bread. Now at the time, Ahimelech, the priest, was the son of Abithar, the high priest, gave David the consecrated bread that had been removed from the presence of Jehovah. Apparently, the priest permitted them to have the bread because according to his knowledge, David and his men were holy and had not been with women. And what we see that on the table of showbread, the priest had to change this bread out. The priests were permitted to eat this bread. They couldn't eat the bread off the table because each day they had to put new bread or according to the order, they had to put new bread on the table, and then the old bread can be removed, but it was still sacred because only certain individuals who met certain criterias were eligible to eat it. In 1 Samuel 21.1, it says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? 
And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, the king has commanded me a business and has said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I've commanded thee and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. And so what is David saying? Well, first of all, David's lying because David at this point is running from the king. He's not on the king's business. As a matter of fact, the king is looking for him. His men are hiding. And so he's telling the priest a lie. Now, the Pharisees know this, but they teach it. But he's lying. And now he says, now, therefore, what is under thine hand? So at this particular point, the priest has just changed out the bread. He's got the bread with him. (laughs) He says, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. So even though he changed the bread out, the bread was still holy. But there is hallowed bread. If the young men, and now he says, he's a condition because even in the priest's house, only certain people could eat the hallowed thing. He says, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David answered the priest and said unto him, of a truth, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner of common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, that was taken from before Jehovah to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, Mark records it this way. And he said unto them, have you never read what David did when he had, had need and was hungered? And he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar. Now, he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, meaning that Abiathar was the high priest, but he didn't encounter Abiathar. He encountered his son, Ahimelech. So if you read Mark, you would think, according to what happened, is that he was dealing with the high priest when, in essence, he was dealing with a priest, which was the son of the high priest, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. In 2 Samuel 8, 17, it proves, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar. So Ahimelech was the son of Abiathar. Matthew records that he encountered Ahimelech. Mark records that he encountered someone during the time of Abiathar's when he was the high priest. You see how one could get confused here? Now, somebody would say, well, that scripture seems to contradict. No, it doesn't contradict it. It confirms it. But if you didn't read 2 Samuel 8, 17, you said, no, Matthew said Ahimelech, Mark says Abiathar. Well, his father's son, okay? And if you understood the order of the priesthood after the lineage of Aaron, the priest and his sons, all the way down through Aaron's lineage. 
So the high priest would be the priest, but the high priest's sons would also be priests, and they would serve in the temple according to the Torah. And then he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man. Christians like throwing this one out. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Well, what, what does that mean? Because, you know, they throw that out as if, you know, the Sabbath, is, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Man doesn't have to acknowledge the Sabbath. But you can't go to the second part of that verse without reading the first part of that verse. The Sabbath was made for man. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. But what people interpret is, yeah, he's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of every day. He's the Lord of, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we have to ask ourselves some questions. One, if the Sabbath was made for man, then who made it? Who made the Sabbath for man? Jehovah. Yeshua. He said, well, wait, hold it. Well, just follow me. See, when was the Sabbath made for man? It was made on the seventh day of creation, Genesis 2. On the seventh day, Elohim ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So what does he do? He set an example. Jehovah himself set an example for who? For his creation. Because he understands something. It wasn't just the Sabbath that was made for man. It wasn't just man that the Sabbath was made. It was for creation. Why? Because on the Sabbath, seventh day, who was allowed to work? Nobody other than the priests. And we'll see that here in a moment. So the father, the mother, the sons, the daughters, the servants, the animals, nobody. And here's a common mistake most Christians make. Common mistake. You can choose any day to be holy, really. But what day did the Almighty says you are not to work, nor your animals, nor your servants? So the Christian take off Sunday while ignoring the Sabbath of Jehovah, opening up their businesses on the Sabbath of Jehovah, forcing their workers to work on the Sabbath of Jehovah, going out in their fields and making the animals work on the Sabbath of Jehovah. That's his command. So you can choose whatever day you want to worship, but you can't choose whatever day you want to have a Sabbath because it's already been chosen. Do you understand? If you want to go worship on Sunday, that's fine because you can worship any day. But you can't change the Sabbath because he established the Sabbath at creation and he rested on the seventh day. And then he commands, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Because he made it holy. When? On the seventh day, verse 3. He blessed the seventh day. He didn't bless the, the first day of the week. He didn't bless the second day of the week, the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth day of the week. He didn't hallow it 
And he blessed the seventh day, and then what did he do? He set it apart. He sanctified it. He made it holy. So just because you choose a day you to worship, and you can make whatever day you want to make holy, that doesn't nullify the day that he has chosen and that he has blessed and that he has sanctified. Do you think that your blessing of a day equals his blessing of a day? Do you believe that you can make a day holier than the day he made holy? <laughs> Stuff people say, it defies logic. Just simple, plain old common sense. <laughs> John 1, 2. Now, this may throw some people for a loop, but most of you it won't. The same was in the beginning with God. Who? The one who became flesh. All things, wait a minute. So look at what John says, because in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. By who? The same one who became flesh. Why? Because he was right there with him. It's like, now I know this is hard for some people to phantom, but the visible human manifestation of the Most High manifested in Yeshua. This is why Yeshua said to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now the religious people, they couldn't get their minds around that. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That includes the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day, and everything in it. Nothing was made without him. Why was the Sabbath made for man? To cease from work and labor, to rest and to assemble for worship. Here's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Jehovah your Elohim. In it you shall not do any work. You nor your son nor your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days Jehovah made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, Jehovah blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then in Leviticus 23, 1, and Jehovah spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of Jehovah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of Jehovah in all your dwellings. Now, let me, let me just back up here for a moment because here it says, speaking to the children of Israel, Understand something, the multitude that came out with Israel was not indistinguished from Israel. In other words, the multitude that came out of Egypt with Israel was a part of Israel. One law, there was not a law for the multitude and a law for the Israelites. It was one law. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out at you. 
The Pharisees had exalted the Sabbath above man, making man subject of the Sabbath when the Sabbath was made for man. And so here's what they did. They said, you bow down and worship this day. You are to worship this day. We're not to worship the Sabbath. We are to worship the Almighty on the Sabbath. Don't get it twisted. Are you with me? We are not to worship the Sabbath. Father made it holy, so we are to keep it holy. We don't make it holy, we are to keep it holy. And yet, he says, in very limited tone, no work, rest, worship. Now, if you look at it from that perspective, Father is saying, listen, you all have the mind I gave you. You all have the instructions that I gave you. And so this should not be complicated. Work is not to be done. Well, now you got to get a definition of work. Like, really? You got to now get a definition of work? Rest is to be done. Now, I'll tell you, as I've said before, sometime if I'm eating a tough piece of meat on the Sabbath, you know, my, by the time I get to chew it, my jaws are hurting. Anybody ever ate meat, it, you know, you chew it until your jaws start hurting? It's like, man, this is, it's, it's work putting this down. <laughs> that's why some of my vegan friends say, that's why I don't eat meat. Yeah, okay. Have it your way. But anyway... <laughs> there, there are times, you know, that you get tired eating, especially after a long day of work. You've been working, and now you want to sit down and eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen babies. I don't, I don't think, if I ever fell asleep while I was eating, I don't remember. But, you know, there are people, they're so tired. when they. Anybody know folks who just fell asleep while they were eating? I've seen it. I don't. You know, maybe I was unconscious. I just didn't know, but I don't remember ever doing it, waking up at the dinner table. However, we're not to worship the Sabbath. And there are things that people will call work that really isn't work. You know, like getting dressed. You know, brushing your teeth. Combing your hair. Now, there are people who say, well, you shouldn't do these things on Yom Kippur because that's the holiest day of all. It's like, really? Here's what I find to be really, really interesting, to say the least. I don't find in the Bible that Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the holiest day of the year because my thinking is that if it was holy, like that, then it should require people to come up to the temple. Folks didn't have to come up to the temple on Yom Kippur. Matter of fact, nobody was allowed in the temple. <laughs> Maybe that's how they come to the conclusion. But people have a tendency, like hallelujah being the highest praise even. 
you know, people have a tendency to make statements that continue to be made, and all of a sudden we find ourselves repeating these statements, and then with no proof whatsoever, we start preaching and teaching and trying to hold other people to that. And we need to search the scriptures when we begin to go down these paths to make sure that we're not being led down a path that is, you know, not scriptural. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Now, Yeshua is saying, listen, you're a Pharisee. You understand that the temple never closes. The fire on the altar never goes out. Chandelier, the candelabra, the menorah is to remain lit. In fact, Father, assign additional work for the priests on the Sabbath day on top of all the work they already was responsible for doing. In Numbers 28.9, because now Yeshua is saying, you, you know that the, the priests work on the Sabbath. You know that, right? This is what he's saying to them. See what he says? Have you not read in the law? Now, I got to tell you some folks. Some of this stuff seems sarcastic. You know, you're a dummy. Don't you know what the law says? Have you not read it? Well, maybe you haven't read it. Because I know there's some stuff that you're doing that you say Moses said, and Moses ain't said nothing about that. And then you're teaching stuff, and you don't know what you're teaching because here it is written. So you don't know this? Get this one. Search the scriptures and see. You think you got eternal life because you got the scriptures? Why don't you read them? Because if you read them, what will they tell you about? They'll tell you about me. Duh. To me, I just see sarcasm. Now, maybe you don't see it, but it's like, <laughs> really? Have you not read in the law? Now, I'm sure they have read. Well, I can't be sure because here's what the law says. On the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath on top of, beside the continual burnt offering and the drink offering. So here's the burnt offering that has to be done, the drink offering that has to be done, and in addition to that, here's what I need you to do on the Sabbath. So it was not lawful for David to eat the bread in the temple, and Yeshua identified himself as greater than the temple. Therefore, he was greater than the priest that served in the temple. Now, keep in mind, David wrote, the Lord said unto my Lord, Yeshua would ask him, who was he talking about? Who was David writing about when he says, I've made you a priest forever after the order of the Malik Sadiq? Had they read the Torah, had they read the writings, they would have had no problem understanding that Yeshua was a high priest after the order of the Malik Sadiq. 
And if he is a priest, if he is a high priest, if he is who he say he is, the son of Elohim, who was in the beginning, then he would be greater than the temple because after all, brothers and sisters, the temple was built by men. Man cannot build anything big enough to house the Most High. It was never the intent of the Almighty to dwell in a house made by man. This was an idea of David. David had this great idea of building the Almighty a temple. If you listen into the conversation, he said, David, I know you got an idea to build something for me, but you can't build nothing for me. Your hands are dirty. That's the gist of the conversation. David said, well, I can't build it, but I have a desire to build it, so I'll collect the material, and maybe Solomon can build it. He says, okay, that'll be acceptable. Solomon builds a temple, and he consecrates the temple, and the Almighty shows up and says, listen, let me tell you something about these people. These people are going to fall away so quick. Now, he doesn't say that, but look at what he does say. That when they go astray, if, but when they go astray, if, But when they go astray, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear. You know, when you look at the whole temple thing, the temple thing, and I'm not trying to minimize the temple because the Almighty permitted the temple and even had the ark in the temple, but understand something. Jehovah never gave instructions for a temple. He gave instructions for a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a temporary dwelling. It wasn't a permanent structure. See, once the temple is built, you can't move it. The tabernacle moves several times. That's what he gave instructions for. David and Solomon from the courts, the inner courts, the holy place, and the holy of holies built the temple that had these pieces, but then they had so much other stuff that was also engaged in the building of the temple. And so you have what man wants to build for the Almighty, and yes, the Almighty accepted it. The Almighty dwelt there until he sent the Babylonians. When he sent the Babylonians and the Ark of the Covenant was removed from that structure and the temple was burnt, think about this, because Malachi prophesied the day when the Lord will return to his temple. Why? Because he had left it. When that ark was removed, when that temple was destroyed, the ark was never put back in the temple. It was never there. Zerubbabel, when he built the second temple, there was no ark. When Herod built the third temple, which people call the second temple, there was no ark. Jehovah returned to the temple the day Yeshua showed up. 
That's when he returned to the temple. But the people didn't recognize him. He says, listen, I'm greater than the temple. You guys are focused on the temple. You're focused on the Sabbath day. You're making man a slave to the Sabbath. No, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a gift to man, not something man worships. We don't allow the Sabbath to bind us because we always have to manage the essence of the instructions of the Almighty. And he's going to give them some more lessons. And I hope we're learning from these lessons because there are some people who are just like the Pharisees that want to restrict and confine. You hear them, well, if you're going to keep the law, you got to keep all the laws. And you got to keep them perfectly. If you break one, you break all the laws. Like, really, if you're going to follow Yeshua, you should follow Yeshua perfectly. Right? Do what he say. Do what he teach. But no, grace got them covered because they don't have to do none of that stuff. Don't have to lift a finger. And, you, you know, that, that's ludicrous. Yeshua says that if you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. What commandments? And now they can't even dis- decide on what commandments he's talking about. And I know folks think I'm hard on, on the church, and I am. I am. I'm thankful for the church. But do you know, some Muslims can say the same thing. Some Muslims who have come to Yeshua, can say, I'm thankful for Islam because Islam led me to Messiah. Hello? The Buddhists can say, I'm thankful for Buddhism because Buddhism led me to Messiah. There are former Buddhists, former Muslims, former Krishnas, former you call it whatever they were, Former, former Gentiles. Some people can say, I'm thankful for being a Gentile because being a Gentile led me to Jesus or Yeshua. So I can say, see, my path came through Christianity, but other people's path didn't come through the church. Think about that for a moment. That's the way I came through. You see. So... When I'm equally challenging on any other faith that people will exalt because it led them. See, that's the goal is who? Messiah. That's the goal. So the law may have been a a schoolmaster in the sense that it led people to Messiah, But if you listen, Christianity, which is void of the law, have led people to Messiah, many of us. Islam, which contains some of the Abrahamic covenant laws, which led people to Messiah. (laughs) But the goal is Messiah. And that we're not bringing 
Islam or Buddhism or Christianity or any other thing that brought us to Messiah, we're not bringing the stuff with us to Messiah because he's trying to get that stuff off of us. Yeshua says he's greater than the temple. He says, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Verse 7, but if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees, and what, is the, what have they just done? They just condemned him, and they condemned the disciples for what? Eating on the Sabbath day. This is not the first time. And what does he say? If you had known what this means, if you had known what this means, here's another one of those sarcastic. But he's not being sarcastic. He's saying, listen, you read the Bible, but you don't even know what it means. Because if you had known what it means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Because what is he saying? Is that, listen, when you understand the essence of the Almighty, even from the beginning, he showed Mr. and Mrs. Adam mercy. Grace was with Father from the beginning. Grace didn't just show up in the New Testament. Grace has been with him from the beginning. But you sure use this statement, remember back in Matthew 9, but go ye and learn what that means. <laughs> it's like, you know, wait a minute, you're talking to the teachers, bro. He's saying, go learn what that means. Wait a minute, what do you mean? You're trying to tell us we don't know what the scriptures mean? Well, go learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I, I want to show you something here because Yeshua is refer it's referencing the prophet Hosea. In this particular passage, he says, Hosea 6, 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? Now, what are you seeing here? House of Israel and the house of Judah. He's speaking to them both equally. Why? Because they're both wicked. For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goes away. So what is he saying? You know, for those of you who wake up early in the morning, if you go out barefoot in the yard, you'll find that your grass is wet, but it ain't rain. And at a certain time when the sun goes up, that dew goes away. The grass is no longer wet. He's saying, that's how y'all's faith is. Your faith is like the morning dew. You got faith for a moment in the morning, and next thing you know, before the, the sun hits noon, your faith is gone. For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goes away. Therefore have I hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. Father is saying, listen, I killed some of y'all. How? By my word. Remember that word is a double-edged sword. He spoke some things. He told Israel, says, Israel, listen, you're going into captivity. Why? Because you've disobeyed me. I'm sending some people. They're going to have you. You're going to be serving other gods, and you're going to be speaking languages that is not your language. You're going to be taken into captivity by people who don't even speak your language. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as a light that goes forth. For I desired mercy, not sacrifice. 
and the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings. I want you all to know me. I'm not a bunch of rules and regulations. I have rules and regulations, but don't exalt my rules and my regulations above me. Don't put my Sabbath above my creation. I made the Sabbath and I gave it to you as a gift and you are to remember it and to keep it holy because if you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to rest from your labors. You're going to learn of me. You're going to take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burdens are light. I'm not going to put a whole lot of burdens, a whole lot of heavy laden. I'm not going to burn you down with religious calisthenics. You're not going to be going through the motion to prove, you know, that you're in right standing with your organization. What I want is I want you to know me. Let me throw something else under the bus. There's no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's community. Yeshua came to save the world. That's what he came to save. Now, we're to take it personally. You ever hear those people, if if I was the only person on the planet, Jesus would have died for me. Well, you weren't the only person on the planet. And he didn't come to save you. He came to pay for the sins of of humanity. Father established a community. You can't live your faith apart from other people of faith. If you love him, you will love his people. This is not about you. This is not about some personal relationship between you and the Almighty because your relationship with him is going to show itself in your relationship with your brother and your sister. How can you say you love me and you hate your brother? This is the love of the Almighty. The love of Elohim is that you love the brethren. It's not about you and your personal relationship. I know that sounds wonderful, but what you do affects somebody. There is nothing you do that solely affects you. Nothing. This is why the body has to become one. That's the personal relationship. The body. The bride. He's not just marrying you. He's marrying us. Okay. I desire knowledge or I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings Listen, you could do all those works. You could do all those laws. You could do all those sacrifices and still not know who I am. And this is exactly what was being done. The temple was happening. The Sadducees was running it. The Pharisees was doing their thing in the synagogue. And none of them had a relationship with the Almighty. They were called to serve him. They were more bound by the service to the temple than they were their service to the Almighty. Look at what he says, verse 7. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. They dealt treacherously against me. Who? Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. 
And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. For they commit lewdness. I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the horum of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, who has set an harvest for thee when I returned, the captivity of my people. I like watching old movies of historical essence, especially back in the days of the Elizabethan era. I like watching movies about how Christianity, well, Catholicism, really. Because when you go back into these movies of queens and kings, you'll find that queens and kings got their power from, from God, but they were ordained, if you would, by who? The Pope. The Pope. And I'm watching these individuals when they come into the presence of the Pope and he puts his ring out there and they got to bow and kiss the Pope. That when a new king comes, the king now, Authority actually is sanctioned by the Pope, and within all of these kingdoms, you have the Catholic Church. And the kings and their subjects go to the Catholic Church. So the most powerful people in the community is the priest. The priest is the only one who can confront the king and not necessarily be killed on the spot because there would be an uproar by the people unless the priest have proven to be of the devil. And now they can burn them at the stake. They can undermine them. But here's the thing that is always intriguing. Individuals who have taken vows of consecration and holiness, having sex with boys, having mistresses in the country, having children that are not necessarily identified as theirs, and they carry their little pious self into St. Peter's Square, into the Vatican, pious as you can be, with all this wickedness. And I, I'm sitting there, and I watch these things, and I see it still happening today. It's been going on ever since there's been popes. But it was before popes. It was going on when there were priests. It goes all the way back to the priesthood, to the first ones. Remember, Aaron was a priest, but he didn't see the promised land. His own sons were killed. Who killed him? Why? You look at, what's his name? Eli. Wicked people who claim to represent the Most High. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of wickedness in the people who claim to represent the Most High today. And this is why you and I, we have to allow him to search us to make sure that he is able to deal with us to what? Get the wickedness out of us. Why? Because we're some of the most wicked people on the planet. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And don't, don't mess around and harden your heart, because a hardened-hearted person is consumed by their need 
consumed by their desire, consumed by what they want, even to the degree to where they will ignore and disobey the Most High who they claim to serve. Once your heart is hardened and you're convinced that the Almighty has said it's okay for you to do whatever it is you, you want to do, then guess what? You're going to be bent on doing it. And nobody can say nothing to you. Nobody can stop you. Why? Because in your heart, you've convinced yourself that it's okay. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is why I have to take my time. I have to take my time before I make decisions because here's what I found. When something comes at me and I'm ready to make a quick decision, it's an emotional one. It's an emotional decision. I haven't prayed about it. I haven't sought the face of the Almighty about it. I haven't asked him what to do about it. This is a response. And there are people who come to you in, in situations and they want a response. Well, wait a minute. I need some time to go before the Almighty and to intentionally petition and then to wait for an answer. Not go in and tell him what I want to do and to seek his approval on it. Because guess what? If it's something that I want to do, I've already got his approval because I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to convince him it's okay. And then I'm going to convince you it's okay. You ever had somebody try to convince you of stuff that you know? Because when a person is hard-hearted, they're already convinced in what they're going to do. And guess what? Now they're going to convince you. This is the work of children. Please, 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 and no matter what you say, no matter what you say, they got an answer for you. They got an answer for you. And there's nothing you can say that they don't have an answer for you already. Why? Because they're already convinced in, your heart, in their heart. And if you don't give them what they want, guess what? They got a problem with you now. It's like, really? Baby, don't put your hand in the crocodile's mouth. Oh, he won't bite me. You know, baby, don't drink and drive. Nothing going to happen to me. I can handle my alcohol. I can handle my weed. I can handle my drugs. I can handle it. I know other people got addicted, but that ain't going to happen to me because I'm smarter than that. Mm -hmm. Sure you are. The priests worked on the Sabbath and were blameless, innocent, and yet the Pharisees who knew this wanted to condemn men for plucking grain to eat because they were hungry. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. After Yeshua accused the Pharisees of condemning the guiltless, he went into their synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into whose synagogue? Theirs. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, who? The Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? They weren't concerned about no healing. Who's been healed by a Pharisee? 
Is there one record of anybody in the Bible that has ever been healed by a Pharisee? Any devil that's been cast out by a Pharisee? Any dead raised by a Pharisee? Show me one scripture, one verse. They weren't interested in, in the people's salvation, in their healing, in their well-being, in their wholeness. They were only interested in benefiting from the people. That was the goal. Do you know something, brothers and sisters? Here's what Yeshua says. That whoever do and teach the commandments will be called great. You get this? You know what the commandments do? If I do the commandments and you do the commandments, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see the results of the commandments. If you diligently hearken to obey these commandments, then guess what you're going to see? You're going to see all these blessings that come from diligently hearkening and obeying these commandments. If I do what the commandments, if I diligently hearken to obey all these commandments that he's given me, then what am I going to see? I'm going to see the blessings that come from the commandments. So when somebody do and teach, guess what? Everybody gets blessed. If I teach against the commandments, guess what? I get blessed, but you don't. Mm. The church prosper, but you don't. Mm. Mm. The pastor drives a Bentley. The pastor drives a Cadillac. What you driving? There's prosperity for some people. But it's the people who is prospering them. When we all do what is required, guess what? We should all see. We should all see. You cannot keep the commandments of the Most High without the Most High blessing you in obedience to keeping his commandments. Why? That's what he promised. He promised that. So for somebody to tell you you don't have to, what are they trying to do? They're teaching you how to be broke. They're teaching you how to be poor. They're teaching you how to be beggars. They're teaching you how to want, how to lack. Now, don't get me wrong. Money is not everything. But you know what? It solves a lot of problems. Money answers a lot of questions. Matter of fact, according to scriptures, it answers all things under heaven. There's not very many things in life that money can't resolve. Now, some folks say, you know, it could even buy you some love if you look at the definition of worldly love. Because there's, there's women out there who will sell you some love and men. They will sell you some love, but it's going to cost you. So in, in that sense, you can even buy love. Time my money won't buy you love. It all depends on what kind of love you're looking for. But money will not put you in right relationship with the Almighty. But do you know what? Right relationship with the Almighty will put money in your pocket. Right relationship with the Almighty will cause prosperity to find you. 
The righteous will never be forsaken. His seed will never beg for bread. It's Jehovah who gives you the power to get wealth, and he doesn't add any sorrow to it. It is he who established wealth. Why? For to establish his covenant. His covenant people are not supposed to be beggars. His covenant people are not supposed to be slaves to debt. His covenant people are supposed to be prosperous and successful in whatever they put their hands to. You can be a hero, you can be a doer. But let me tell you something, being a hero is not going to get that blessing for you. You got to be a doer of the word if you want to see the prosperity that comes from diligently hearkening to obey the word. You can't be a lip service saint. You can't be a hearer saint. You got to be a doer because when you put his word into practice, guess who backs it up? He backs it up, brothers and sisters. I was sharing with my daughters, I share with my sons, you know, the life and the work. When I was working in ministry in Michigan, I'm going to put it this way, and I, I hope you get what I'm saying. I'm working in the service of God, but it damn near killed me. I'm thinking I was working in the service of God. I was working in the service of religion for the most part. I'm thinking I'm doing the work of God, but I was doing the work of religion as defined by religion. It really wasn't until Father brought me here that I truly understood the essence of diligently hearkening. And what I saw, what I saw in a matter of five, six years compared to 30 years of hard labor in Michigan, 30 years of hard labor in Michigan, a month and a half after I got here, I suffered what the doctors say was a, was a stroke. Working my fingers to the bone, four and five hours of sleep, trying to keep things moving, trying to make things happen. And Father says, those days are behind you. You're not going to bring that with you. Let me show you how to do what I'm calling you to do, and you rest and wait on me. And don't let people push you, and don't let people make you their God. Don't cause people to be dependent on you. You teach people what I give them to do and what I say, because here's what I didn't learn in Michigan that I've learned since he brought me here. If you aren't willing to do what he says and you're willing to do what I say, then guess who your God is? This is why I don't fool with y'all. I don't. I don't mess with you. You come to me, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get him. I'm going to give you what he give me. If you don't like it, take it up with him. I ain't mad at you. I really ain't. I love you. I love you enough to take the risk of you hating me for telling you the truth. Why? Because I don't see, when I see you, I don't see dollars. I see saints. That's what I see. I see sons and daughters of the Most High, brothers and sisters that I want to be in covenant with, I want to walk with, because it's lonely out there. 
The world does not have my best interest at heart. And I'm hoping my brothers and sisters is going to watch my back. Who's going to be bold enough and loving enough to tell me when they see stuff that ain't right. That's going to confront me if they see me going down a path that I shouldn't be going down. That's going to bring correction to me if they see me saying and doing things that is incorrect. That's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to give you him. And I would expect you to give me him. Don't give me you. Because, see, our emotions, our feelings is what's got us in a whole lot of trouble. Your feelings and your emotions is what has caused you to disobey the most high. I know because it's done me that way. Having the knowledge of truth and doing truth is two totally different things. Knowledge is power, as they say, but it gets you nowhere if you don't apply it. You just got a lot of information. I think I need to stop, but I'm not, I'm not done. Oh, I got a few more verses. Let me read them. So he went into their synagogue. And he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? Now, let me go back. And behold, there was a man which had a hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? What is he saying? If your, if your sheep fall into the pit, what you going to do? Leave it there until the Sabbath is over? No, you're going to get it out. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. It seems the Pharisees had more compassion for an animal, which was of lesser value than a man. And do you know today that there are people who are seemingly more compassion for animals than for people? Then said he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other one. Here's the Pharisees' philosophy. Was if you want healing, get it during the six days for on the seventh, on the Sabbath healing was forbidden. You know, they forbid it healing on the Sabbath day. There is no law or commandment forbidding healing on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees had exalted the Sabbath above man, making man subject of the Sabbath when the Sabbath was made for man. Here's proof text, Luke 13, 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Yeshua saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified Elohim. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Because that Yeshua had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, Now look at what he's preaching. There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed. Now, is the synagogue even open on the Sabbath? I mean, on the six days. Could have been, but if it was like some of these churches, probably not. There were six days which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed. Not on the Sabbath day. Don't come here looking for no healing on the Sabbath. Well, wait a minute. We come to worship. Wait a minute. We come to be in the presence of the Almighty. Well, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a sacred assembly, a holy convocation. Wait a minute, isn't he supposed to be in the midst of us when we gather? No, don't come here looking for no healing. 
Don't come here looking for no supernatural manifestation. Don't come here looking for no power. You better come and learn the law. Learn how to be a good synagogue member. Learn how to be a member in good standing of the church. And the Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? I mean, on the Sabbath day, you take the animal to make sure they drink and to make sure they eat. Now, remember in the other place, they were eating on the Sabbath day, and he used the illustration of a, of a sheep in the ditch. But now he's taking them, these guys a step further. Look, you take care of your animals on the Sabbath, but this woman can't be healed on the Sabbath. You see the logic? And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? On the Sabbath day. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And look at their response. They were ashamed, and now the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. This is, see, what we do is really beyond teaching Torah, teaching law, teaching commandments. What we're doing is teaching what Yeshua taught and then trying to do what Yeshua did. Why? Because we believe we can this is why we pray for healing. This is why we keep the Sabbath. This is why we celebrate the feast and try to operate as best as we know how with the understanding on how to keep his commandments in a manner that is pleasing him. Not going through the motion, but where there's meaning and understanding and passion why? Because we love him. Why? Because we want to honor him. That's why we do what we do. And everything you do should be to bring honor and glory and to bring glory to him. And this is why we have to rid ourselves of all these restrictive traditions that prohibit us from doing what he, what he said. Because the, the religious people today, a lot of them today, they're following the Pharisees of, of, of the book. Torah, 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 Torah. And there's nothing wrong with Torah, 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 but understand something. We have to understand Torah according to how Yeshua taught it, not according to how they taught it. And then people say, well, there's nothing wrong with traditions, but understand something. The way the traditions were being taught is the traditions found the, their way of exalting themselves. I even saw some people talk about, you know, the traditions. It's like, what's the point in putting a, a prayer shawl over your head, sister, and lighting candles and doing this? What's that? Where's that at in Scripture? Where's candle lighting in Scripture for the Sabbath? What is this for? See, there are traditions, and people say, well, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just opening up the Sabbath, but why are you doing it that way? Traditions? Well, what's wrong with that? What's the origin of it? When you begin to look at the origin of where things come from, then you begin to see what's wrong with it. 
where it came from. If it came from Yeshua, then there should be no condemnation associated with it. If Yeshua kept the Sabbath, why should we have an issue with it? If Yeshua kept the feast, why should we have an issue with it? If Yeshua kept the commandments, why should we have an issue with it? Why would we have an issue with the things Yeshua didn't have an issue with and embrace and accept the things Yeshua did have an issue with? Because Yeshua had an issue with all them traditions. Yeshua had an issue with those Pharisee laws and those Sadducee laws and these washing of cups and, and all the stuff that people want to do to look Jewish and to feel Jewish because looking and feeling Jewish makes them holy. No, it's not about Judaism, brothers and sisters. It's not about being a Jew or not being a Jew because there is no difference now in Messiah. Our faith is in him, not in our culture, not in our heritage. Unless we are inheritors of the kingdom, because now what is he doing? If father didn't have an issue with Judaism, he never would have sent Yeshua. They had that. They had the temple. They had the synagogues. They had teachers, rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees. They had religion. But Yeshua came to show us how it's done. And now, that's who we should follow. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.